Policy matters. Policy matters. Policy matters. Policy matters. Policy matters. Welcome to ASRM Policy Matters. Today on the show, Sean Tipton, Chief Advocacy and Policy Officer for ASRM, and Becca O'Connor, Director of the ASRM Center for Policy and Leadership, are here to help guide us in this inaugural episode on a discussion about the current impact on fertility care of Roe versus Wade. Uh, Both of you, uh, thank you so much for for coming on Policy Matters. Of course. Becca, I'll, I'll start with you. So first, this podcast is being released the first week of June which is well ahead of the scheduled official decision of the Supreme Court regarding Roe versus Wade. What are some of the immediate impacts reproductive medicine practitioners, labs, et cetera, may expect if, and this is still a bit, if the law is overturned? Yeah. So, you know, I think it's an if, but also be prepared. Um, And what we know is this. There are a lot of things we don't know. But we do know is that the immediate impact, of course, will be that it will end a long-standing guarantee of federal constitutional protection of abortion rights and leave decisions in the hands of states to decide what happens next. So what does that mean, more importantly, um, for this conversation for IVF or um, reproductive medicine? Um, a lot of things we don't know, but we do know that states are ready to act pretty swiftly um, where they haven't already to um introduce in in certain pockets of this country abortion bans. And that means that they're drafting bills that could have implications for medicine. The devil's in the details and, you know, probably more about that. Um, But when they're working with definitions of when life begins, whether it's, you know, at conception or whatever verbiage they're using, they're tiptoeing close to the line of work that our members are doing um, every day to build families um, in those labs and creating um, embryos. And so um, while we're still sort of seeing how this shakes out, we haven't seen bills introduced that directly implicate IVF um, and it remains legal um, and will so immediately thereafter after the the issuance of the decision. um, There's going to be a lot of dust to shake out and, and sort of, you know, it demands that we be vigilant as um, both as an organization, but as a community about what's happening at the state level um, and responsive to whatever is proposed. John, building on what Becca is saying here, you know, state to state bills guide so much policy. And if, if this is overturned, you know, what type of bills would be affected directly? Are there any uh, examples that exist right now or? Yeah, so, so it, it's worth noting that this decision is uh, known as Dobbs, the, the case is known as Dobbs versus Jackson's Women's Health. It is, the case itself is a challenge to a law the state of Mississippi passed that says you cannot terminate a pregnancy after 15 weeks gestation. And so what is likely to happen if, if as Roe is overturned is that essentially a big, big old stop sign is being removed stop sign says stop not states or congress you cannot pass laws that keep women from accessing abortion services and there have been some tricks and developments over the last 50 years you know putting a finer point on some of that but that's essentially what it says uh justice and justice alito's leaked draft makes us leads us to believe the supreme court is essentially dismantling that stop sign and so 
suddenly they're not going to be the guardrails that there used to be to stop these kind of uh, stop these kind of bills from being enforced. So, what we are seeing, what we have seen for many years, is states passing laws to restrict or prohibit abortion. Those are found unconstitutional because the courts follow the precedent set by the Supreme Court. Uh, that is now going to go away. So it's anticipated that it's going to be a little bit of a free-for-all. So they're not replacing it with anything. They're not putting up a yellow blinking light saying, caution, be careful here. They're just taking the stop sign down. So what we are seeing is a lot of bills that get introduced, most of which are designed to stop abortion, to prohibit abortion. In some cases, it's a restriction based on how long the pregnancy has been established and things like that. But it's, they are looking to, to prohibit pregnancy termination. In the, con in the course of doing that, they are writing bills that either in, in perhaps in a definition section or perhaps somewhere else seek to establish that the le that legal status conveys upon, and they use words like the moment of conception or any stage of human development, and therefore you cannot terminate a pregnancy. So that creates a lot of questions for infertility providers, specifically what does that mean for the legal status of the in vitro fertilized egg? And that's not really what they're talking about. Um, you know, one of the things I've been saying to reporters a lot is that politicians have the ability to declare two things to be legally equivalent. They do not have the power to make them biologically equivalent. And that's the dilemma that they are creating. So, for example, um, a bill that's been getting a lot of press, and I suspect as we're recording this, it's not quite yet signed by the governor, but by the time this podcast drops, I bet it will be. Uh, there's a, a bill in Oklahoma, uh, and Oklahoma already has passed legislation to ban abortions. This is just, I feel like they need to do it more times. So the, this most recent bill has exactly language I was just talking about. It tries to, to establish legal standing at the moment of conception, but it also is very clear that it's talking about a gestating pregnancy. And so an in vitro fertilized egg is not gestating. It is not created a pregnancy. And so it's not clear if this would have any impact on IVF. Our, the reading from our lawyers is it does not affect the, the embryo unless it is in a pregnancy gestating in a uterus. So we don't think it's going to impact IVF. But that shows the kind of confusion that can be sown by these kind of sloppily worded prohibitions. And so, you know, what we're having to do is work with attorneys to analyze the text of these things as they're being proposed. We are trying to uh, communicate to policymakers the dangerous ground they're treading on. Of course, ASRM imposes these abortion restrictions in and of themselves. So even if there were no ambiguity about its impact on IVF, we would still be against it because we are an organization that believes that Productive healthcare is essential healthcare, and that patients ought to have access to the treatments they need offered by their physicians without the interference of politicians. So we're going to oppose these bills anyway. But we have to figure out what it means for the work that our members are really engaged in, and that is the work of building families through infertility medicine. So, so we're having to do a lot of work to first figure out what it actually says and what that means, and, and then you have to look at it in the context of existing statutes in the state to try to see if you can discern what it means. So it is, it is quite a task. Uh, but, but we have weighed in at this point on, I think, almost 30 bills uh, in the states. And 
sadly, uh, even though by this time of the year, most of the state legislatures are going out of session, many of them are either staying in or going to come back into special session after the road decision comes down just so they can try to ban abortion. And in some cases, ban abortion some more or again. This is ASRM Policy Matters. I'm talking with Sean Tipton and Becca O'Connor. Uh, we're discussing the current impact on fertility care of Roe versus Wade. Sean, so ASRM, working with attorneys, poking lawmakers, is there any other current actions that ASRM is thinking about taking or has the ball rolling as far as, as we await the final decision uh, come June? Yeah, so uh, we have been trying to produce a lot of materials to help our, not only that we're taking action, but to help our members so they can take action themselves. So so last week we released some uh, uh, some talking points, some, some things you can do. These are things like getting in touch with your state legislators, uh, making sure they understand what it is that you do and who it is that you are taking care of and how you're helping them build families. Um, it includes talking to reporters. Critically, it includes talking to patients, talking to medical colleagues and other specialties, and talking to community members. Because I think one of the things that the polling indicates, first of all, that there's support for access to abortion care. But beyond that, I don't think people are paying attention to the very real consequences that could be coming for infertility care from poorly crafted abortion bans. And so Yes, as an organization, we're doing a lot. We're talking to reporters all the time. We're talking to policymakers all the time. We are trying to to create tools to help our members do that. But but that's a really critical piece. Is I I, I don't want people to think, oh, I can't do anything. I'm just a poor little working in an IVF. You know what? You are a citizen of this community. You have a First Amendment right to petition the government to redress your grievances and. If the politicians are about to make it more difficult for you to do your job of helping people treat their reproductive medical needs, then you got a pretty serious grievance that ought to be redressed. So I would encourage everybody to exercise their First Amendment rights and to express themselves publicly, often, loudly, and to their policymakers as to what needs to be happening here. Now, I will say we are, we are doing things now. We are trying to get ready in anticipation of this decision. I think, uh, and, and I'll let Becca talk a little bit because I think there's two projects that are going to come out of the CPL within the next couple months that may be of assistance to people. Yeah, absolutely. So, as Sean said, we want to equip people with solutions and information so that they can elevate um, their concerns to the decision makers that are going to literally be regulating um, this space. That includes creating an opportunity for folks to understand, to the degree that we can provide this information, what the landscape looks like at this state. And so from the CPL, you can expect an overview of state's laws as they're being introduced and passed. And you can definitely um, anticipate that we will also be, you know, that will be sort of high level. Um, again, we don't offer legal advice on behalf of the 50 states because I'm not licensed in 50 states, nor is anyone else here, but we want to give people a general sense of what these laws do and do not say and do not prohibit. Um, beyond that, we're going to dig a little deeper and look at um, what this language means, uh, big picture for reproductive medicine. And really, again, the focus here is not just to tell you what the laws say, but to tell you what it is that we need to do to propose solutions and alternatives and, and really drive home the point, as Sean said, 
about the real world implications of these proposals, um, because I think that that can be lost even on the policymakers with good intentions to understand how their actions could have a trickle effect um, onto other aspects of family building. And we will link to materials and other information discussed on this episode today in our show notes. We are almost out of time. Is there anything else, Becca or Sean, that you would like our audience to know? Yeah, what I would say is uh, pay attention, not just to the news, but also to ASRM. We we will try very hard to keep you as informed as possible. Be ready because we may ask you to take specific actions. But again, in general, I would say, you know, go to the website, download the toolkit that we're putting together, contact your elected officials, and let's, you know, work together to try to get through this. I really do want to emphasize that even the day that this decision comes down, if it comes down as expected and overturns Roe, IVF is still going to be legal in all 50 states, right? And we're, we're going to help make that to try to protect that. We will let you know if there are particular pieces of it, they're going to be a threat, and first of all, we will try to thwart those. And secondly, if things pass over our objections, we will try to make sure that you are ready to do what you can do in the best possible way to provide the care your patients need without running foul of the law, frankly. And I do think people need to get comfortable because I think there's going to be some ambiguity for a while. So we can't give you a definitive answer today. We're probably not going to be able to give you a definitive answer even when this, when the Dobbs decision comes down. And we probably won't be able to give you a definitive answer in some states for several months. So uh, just prepare yourself for that and know that we're going to do our very best to keep you informed, but that you might need to get to know a good lawyer in your state pretty quickly. And to to close out, I'll say uh, uh, from the webinar the other night, eternal vigilance is the price of liberty. My guests today have been Sean Tipton, who's the Chief Advocacy and Policy Officer for ASRM, and Becca O'Connor, who is the Director of the ASRM Center for Policy and Leadership. Thank you both for being on the program today. You're welcome. Thanks for having us. This has been ASRM Policy Matters. If you wish to contact us about the show, please email us asrm at asrm.org. I am Jeffrey Hayes, and we will see you next time. The information and opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of ASRM and its affiliates. These are provided as a source of general information and are not a substitute for consultation with a physician. 